Come on, if you love Jesus, why don't you give him some praise today? Oh, come on, people's church across every campus. Can we lift up the name that is above every name? Come on, Jesus has been better to you than that. Are you thankful? Come on, just give him a crazy, radical praise today. Hallelujah. Is anybody excited to be in the house of God? Man, I'm telling you, you know me by now. I say it all the time. I'm not just excited to be at People's Church. I'm Red Bull excited and espresso elated. I woke up with expectation uh, for God to do something. Did you come with some expectation for God to speak to you? Come on. Expectation is absolutely everything. And I don't care whether you're at Northwest, Midwest City, Mabel Bassett, uh, come on, all the campuses, Indianapolis, you're at the right place at the right time, going to get the right word. Come on, can we welcome all of our canvases? It is a, it's an honor to be back. I've been coming, I don't know, I think this is like my... 1,000th time coming to People's Church. No, been here so many times and I, it doesn't get old. It is an honor for me. I will keep coming till y'all get sick of me because I love this church and uh, I love your pastor. And I just think everything rises and falls on great leadership. And how many know you are blessed with a great leader, with a great pastor? Come on, can we thank God for Pastor Herbert and his wife Tiffany? Come on, for who they are. Love them so much, and, um, and I'm excited about the word today. If y'all feel like hearing this, like I feel like preaching it, uh, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. I want to jump straight uh, to Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5, and I want to look at verses 21 through 43. Quite a bit of scripture, but come on, the word is good for your soul. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Across every campus, if you have a Bible with you, would you wave it in the air like you just do care? Awesome. Come on. Some of your Bibles are glowing. You charged up your Bible this morning. Thank you for that. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse number 21. When you're ready to read, say yeah. yeah. If you need some time, say hold up. All right, I heard hold up in the distance. Let me give you some time. And it declares, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. and He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, one version says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, 
just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began walking around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Can you say amen? Again, quite a bit of scripture, but I needed the whole context of the text. But I want you, just for a moment, to hone in on verses 40 and 41, if we can. And it says, but they laughed at him. They, they, the negative, unbelieving, doubting people in the room laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, Get up. Somebody say, get up. I almost titled this message today, Get Up, because I think that's a good title. Come on, that title alone will make you run around the church, do cartwheels. Get up. Then I started looking deeper in the text, and I noticed that before Jesus told this girl to get up, he did something else. Verse 40 says, they laughed at him after he put them all out. Then he went up to the girl and told her to get up. So before she got up, first some people in the room had to <laughs> get out. <laughs> what, if, what if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the atmosphere and the environment that surrounds your miracle? You've been telling things to get up, but perhaps this is your Sunday to look at the environment and the atmosphere that is around you. Oh, come on, somebody help me preach and start telling some things to get out. Ooh, would you look at your neighbor like you got an attitude with them and just tell them the title of my message? Tell them, get out. Oh, just in case that neighbor was bougie, find you another neighbor, find you another neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor, get out. If you believe God's going to speak to you, would you give him some praise in here today? Woo. I feel like preaching. Come on, let's pray before we jump into this. Let's pray. going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. God, you are amazing. Speak today. Amen. <laughs> Get out. People's Church, the divine intersection and collision of characters in our text today immediately gave me a nostalgic parental flashback to November 2014. I vividly remember it because I was getting ready to leave my house to go preach at a conference. This wasn't anything unusual. I often leave to go preach, except this time I was not just leaving my house as a husband. I was now leaving my house as a father. 
our firstborn girl, Evie, had just been born, and uh, she was just barely uh, two months old. So I was in that emotional, precarious predicament of leaving my firstborn daughter for the first time. You parents know, you know how it is when it's your first kid. There are things you do with the first child that will never happen again, okay? Like now, you just heard the announcement, we just had our third. We have three kids under three plus a dog. So now I leave my house like I got warrants for my arrest, <laughs> and I take the long route home, okay? <laughs> Sometimes my wife will call me with chaos in the background, talking about, where are you? I'm like, babe, I'm stuck in traffic. She's like, no, you in the driveway. I see you. Get in here. <laughs> Help me with these kids. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when it's your first, you're emotional. So I was going to preach in Florida for one night, but you would have thought I was going to fight in the war. Uh, tears are coming down my face. Snot is going everywhere. I keep kissing my baby girl. Daddy loves you so much. I'm going to be back tomorrow. Don't you worry. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. <laughs> it's a mess. Get to the conference in Florida, and I walk in, and a guy by the name of Eddie James is leading worship. He's leading worship. And, of course, he's singing, you're a good, good father is who you are. It's like, no, I'm not, Eddie. No, I'm not. It's a mess. I don't think I preached that night. I just put up a picture of my daughter and said, that's the point. That's the whole point. And got off the stage, went into the back, and I met Eddie James, and he said, Robert, your daughter is beautiful. Congrats. I said, thank you. I made her. And uh, I said, hey, Eddie, what you might not know is that my daughter, Evie, might not even be here today if it wasn't for you. Eddie looked at me like I had just lost my mind. I said, Eddie, you, you probably don't remember, but in December of 2006, you were scheduled to lead worship and preach at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. But en route to Dallas, your van had some trouble and broke down on the side of the road. And he says, I remember that day. I said, Eddie, you picked up the phone and you called a guy by the name of Adam McCain to let him know that by the time your van would be fixed, you would not make it to the service in Dallas that night. Adam got off the phone, looked to a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled. Who in the world are we going to get to fill his spot last minute? In that room was a man by the name of Brian Mean. Brian Mean says, well, I was just at Trinity Church in Dallas and heard a young man named Robert Madu preach. He's local. Maybe he can do it. All of a sudden, my phone rings, and Adam McCain says to me, is this Pastor Robert Madu? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, Robert, I know it's last minute, but we have a Tuesday night chapel for our Bible college students, and I was wondering, is there any way you could come? We just had a cancellation. Now, understand, during that time period, I am still a student in Bible college myself. So I said to Pastor Adam McCain, sir, you know what? It seems just like yesterday. I was a Bible college student myself. What an honor it would be to come preach to your students. <laughs> Drove on that Tuesday night from Southwestern Assemblies of God University to Christ for the Nations. And before I get up to preach, Adam McCain says, before we have Robert preach, we're going to have our Tuesday night testimonial where a student of this university tells something God has done in their life. All of a sudden on the screen comes the finest girl with the strongest Arkansas accent I have ever heard in my entire life and tells her testimony. I get up and preach, don't even meet the girl, and go back to my university.
University. The next morning, I'm perusing through the hallway, and a girl by the name of Becca taps me on my shoulder. She says, Robert, was that you that I saw last night at Christ for the Nations getting ready to preach? I said, yes, it was. She said, did you see the girl that was on the screen that gave her testimony? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've been friends with that girl for years and always thought that you two would be perfect for each other. She said, I never said anything, but since y'all were in the same room at the same service, you two have got to meet. I said, Eddie, the next week, I took that girl on our first date to the illustrious International House of Pancakes. I said, Eddie, that girl's name was Taylor Mitchell. It's now Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I want to thank you and thank God that your van broke down on that night. People's Church, I, I share that story with you today because who in the world would have ever thought that my Evie and Eddie were connected? Because their connection is not one that can be easily seen on the surface. But once you dig down deep into the archaeological value of a person's life and you begin to peel back the layers, it becomes lucidly clear that nobody gets to live their life autonomously with just me, myself, and I. But just like some of the relatives that will inundate your house over the holidays, whether you like it or not, we are all connected. Our lives are connected. No, our lives are not straight lines. Our lives are links. We are connected miracles merging with miracles and stories connecting with stories to create a tapestry of humanity telling a beautiful story of God's goodness and grace. And so no wonder in Mark chapter 5 as Mark begins to tell us about a young Jewish ruler by the name of Jairus, he interrupts the story abruptly to talk about a woman with an issue of blood. And the reason that Mark has strategically sandwiched these two stories together is because Jairus and this woman with an issue of blood are connected. They are deeply connected. In fact, to talk about Jairus and not talk about the woman with the issue of blood is really to do an injustice to the integrity of this text because the two of them are deeply connected. Not on the surface. Oh, no, not on the surface. If you look at the surface of their lives, they couldn't be more opposite. In fact, they are completely opposite. Yes, one of these things are not like the other. If you just look at the surface of their life. Come on, let's just start with biology 101. Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Jairus is named in the text. This woman is not named at all. Jairus is honored and respected. This woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus is a ruler in the Jewish synagogue. This woman can't even enter the synagogue because her sickness has made her ceremonially unclean. Jairus is married with a child. This woman is single and her sickness has robbed her of the joy of motherhood. Jairus is affluent and has money in the bank. But this woman is broke, busted, and disgusted and has spent all of her money on worthless physicians. Let me bring the text to the 21st century. Jairus is driving a Benz, but this woman is on the bus. They have absolutely nothing in common on the peripheral, but yet life has now put them in the same place, posture, and position because they have both been hit with something they cannot handle. Ooh, have you ever been there before? Has life ever hit you in the face with something that you cannot handle? Something that makes you scratch your head? Come on, something that your degrees can't fix, your Instagram likes can't fix, your Twitter followers can't fix. You know life will do that. Life has a way of hitting you with something that will make you say, how in the world am I going to deal with this? 
And might I suggest, if you have been hit with something that you cannot handle, that thing is a job for Jesus. That's the time to throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know what to do about this, but you know what to do about it. I love it. They have nothing in common on the peripheral, but life has now put them in the same place, posture, and position. Watch this. Pushing people out of the way to get to Jesus. I love it because they didn't have a nice little pretty pathway. Both of them, the text says, both of them had to push people out the way. Move. Push people out the way to get to Jesus. Come on, it's not nice to push, but they didn't care. They both pushed people out of the way. Come on, look at Jairus. He is a ruler in the synagogue. He's a pastor, but he's still pushing. Move out the way. I can see people saying, hey, Jairus, I loved your sermon last week. I don't care. Move. Pushing people out of the way. This woman has an issue of blood. She is ceremonially unclean. She's not supposed to be touching people or even be in public. She didn't care that day. Move out the way. Pushing people out out of the way to get to Jesus. You know why they're pushing? I'll tell you why they're pushing. Because desperate people do desperate things. Come on, when you are desperate for God to do something in your life, how many of you know you don't got time for protocol? You don't know who to call? You don't got time for procedure? When you are desperate, you show up to church at a different time. When you are desperate, you worship different. You don't do this cute thing right here. You will have the ugly face with your mascara going all over the place. When you are desperate for God to do something in your life, it is not business as usual. They both were desperate for a miracle. Who I found in my own life that God will often use desperation to drive you to your destiny. Oh, yes, sometimes there are some things that only desperation can fix that you can't have when you are cool and convenient and calm. Desperations will pull things out of you that you didn't even know was there. Desperation, watch this, will hone in your focus on what's really important in your life. Come on, when you're desperate, you don't got time to be petty. When you're desperate, you don't care what they said on your Facebook page. When you are desperate for God, oh, desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Some of you wonder why you hadn't got your breakthrough. It's because you ain't desperate yet. But when you get desperate for God, you'll see stuff come out of you that you didn't even know was there. It's funny. I, I travel all over the world and get to the privilege of preaching the gospel. And you always have small talk. And, and the million-dollar question, I always get it no matter where I go, is people always ask me, where's the, your favorite place you've ever been? What's your favorite place to preach? And I often struggle to give them an answer because I try to let them know that the effectiveness of ministry or preaching has little to do with the destination of a place, but everything to do with the disposition of the people that are in the place. Oh yes, I would rather preach in a basement with 10 desperate people than to preach in the Bahamas with some stuck up pretentious bougie people who act like they don't need anything from God. Oh, but if you give me some desperate people, that's when miracles will take place. When there is desperate people in the room, come on, you're going to see things that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. Come on, can we take a praise break and just praise God like you are desperate for him to do something in your life? Oh, some of y'all ain't desperate. Y'all can be quiet. But those of you who are desperate for God to do something in your life, would you take 10 seconds and give God your best praise? <laughs> Hallelujah. Desperation. I need you to fix something in my life. Ooh. It is the rolling tides of desperation that brought this woman and Jairus both at the feet of Jesus. I love it because they both ended up at the feet of Jesus. Nothing in common on the peripheral, but in the same place at the feet of Jesus saying, I need you. 
this is a picture of the power and the potency of the church and the gospel that we can gather here today across every campus, no matter what's going on in different circumstances and different skin colors and different uh, socioeconomic status or whatever, but we've all come together with one need, that we need him to do something in our lives. And they both ended up at the feet of Jesus. Now, let's delve into the details of their desperation to get clarity and perspective for our own life. It is clear that Jairus approached Jesus first. And he was desperate. The vocal intonation of Jairus is of a 911 caller saying, please come quick because his little daughter is dying. He said, Jesus, I need you to come and I don't need you to take your time. I need you to come quickly. This woman has been suffering with an issue of blood. She's been hemorrhaging and it's been happening for a while. And here's how Mark wants to really let us know that these two are connected. Because it just so happens that Jairus' daughter who is dying is 12 years old. And the woman who has the issue of blood has been dealing with it for 12 years. So you got a 12-year-old girl and a 12-year-old disease. So that means, chronologically speaking, on the day this little girl was born was the exact same day that this woman got the diagnosis of her disease. So cinematically speaking, if this was a movie and the producers were This Is Us, this is the scene in the movie where as soon as they get at the feet of Jesus, you would see a flash on your screen that says 12 years prior, and it would flash back to a hospital, and it would be Jairus and his wife walking out of the hospital, smiling from ear to ear with the full elation of parenthood, holding a newborn baby girl. And right behind them, walking out of the same hospital, is this woman. Tears cascading down her face because the doctor has just told her the prognosis in her report. And they're in the same hospital, perhaps, but don't even see each other. One blinded by beautiful bliss and one blinded by a bad doctor report. Ooh, isn't that like life? Sometimes you can either be so preoccupied with your promise or so preoccupied with your pain that you don't see other people. Yeah, you don't see what other people are facing or going through. Never be so blinded by your promise or your pain that you don't see other people, especially in this narcissistic, individualistic, self saturated society that we live in we have forgotten that you're supposed to weep with those that weep and, and rejoice with those that rejoice and the two that didn't see each other at the hospital thank God for Jesus because they now see each other at the hem of his garment and the two twelves are touching Ooh, can I break this thing down just a little bit the two twelves are touching 12 year old disease 12 year old girl 12 year old disease 12 year old girl 12 year old disease 12-year-old girl, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. You know, you don't have to be astute in biblical numerology or have a theology degree to know that there are some numbers in the Bible that God has given you biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal. 12, ladies and gentlemen, is one of those numbers. It is a strategic number. You remember that when God called Abraham and continued the call through Isaac and culminated the call through Jacob, that Jacob had 12 sons through which he gave the birthright, the power, and the authority to his 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel representing their power and the authority. The high priest in the Old Testament, when he would go into the Holy of Holies and represent the people of God, he would come in with a chest guard with 12 stones in his chest representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Come on, in the New Testament, our new high priest, Jesus, at the tender age of 12, you remember after Mary and Joseph lost him and they went 
ran up in the temple and said, boy, I've been looking all over for you. Where have you been? And I love Jesus because he could have looked at his mama and said, the only kid that can say, I brought you in this world. <laughs> I can take you out. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He was respectful. He said, didn't you know I should be about my father's business? And he was teaching in the temple with power and authority at the age of 12. You remember when that 12-year-old turned 30 and he got ready to pick his crew, his road dogs. He said, I want one, two, three, four, five, six. 12 disciples to roll with me. 12 people in my favorites list. And he gave them power and authority to do miracles and cast out demons. What is 12? 12 is the number of God's power and his authority, of power and authority. Do you know what God is teaching us in the 12s? He's teaching us what he's been teaching us in the entire book of Mark. Jesus is saying, I don't care whether it's an issue of blood, blinded eyes, deaf ears, a hurricane, disease, leprosy. I don't care what the situation is. There is nothing that you are facing that is not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. Come on, somebody that knows that God has all power and authority would you take some moment to give him some praise up in here Woo! 12 it is the number of power and authority power and authority why is that important it's important because your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive from him hmm, so nice I'm gonna say it twice your awareness of God's authority his authority will determine how much you receive from him. See, oftentimes we read this text and we have reduced this text to a matter of faith. We've told people, just get more faith, get more faith. That didn't happen, you didn't have enough faith, you gotta have faith. And don't get me wrong, faith is important. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is important, faith is our anchor. But how do you know an anchor has gotta be tied to something? Yes, you don't just drop an anchor in the water. It has to got to be tied to something. And my faith, watch this, is tied to God's authority. I know that he has all authority, the authority of his word, the authority of his power. That's what my faith is connected to. If you don't understand his authority, you're going to struggle in your faith. Okay, you don't believe me. What's your scripture for that? Okay, I'll give you some scripture. You remember when the disciples were in the boat, in the boat, and the winds and the waves are crashing, and it's a hurricane, and Jesus, and they've they been freaking out. Whoa, what we got? And Jesus is in the boat asleep on a pillow, asleep on a pillow, just. And they run up to Jesus with an attitude. Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. What's wrong with you? And Jesus, I love him, cool, calm, and collected, wakes up, just wipes the sleep out of his eyes and preaches a three-point sermon to a hurricane and just says, peace be still. And the winds and the waves get slain in the spirit. And you remember, you remember what happened afterwards? All the disciples looked at Jesus and they marveled and they said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? And what did Jesus say to them? Oh, you of little faith. Why do you have little faith? Because you don't have an awareness of my authority. If you had an awareness of my authority, you should have looked at me when I was asleep and said, wait a minute. If he is sleeping in the midst of this storm, that means he's not worried about it. And if you're not worried about it. I'm not going to be worried about it either. Jesus, scoot over. Let me get right next to you because if it's not stressing you out, oh, it's not stressing me out either. Oh, that was for somebody. If it is not stressing God out, can you calm down and go to sleep at night because he's not worried about it. Woo! 
That's what they should have been marveled at, but they couldn't because they had little faith, and they had little faith because they didn't have an awareness of his authority. Your awareness of God's authority will always determine how much you receive from him. Watch this. Jairus got a house call for his daughter because that was his awareness of God's authority. He was a ruler in the synagogue. He was a pastor. So he did just like a classic pastor. Jesus, I got an issue. You got to come to the house. And he's Pentecostal too. You got to lay your hands on my daughter because that's how healing takes place. That's how we do it. That was his awareness of God's authority. So that's what he received. This woman had a different awareness of his authority. She said, Jesus, you ain't even got to come to my house. All I got to do is touch the hem of your garment. And if I touch your clothes... I know I'm going to be made whole. That was her awareness of his authority. But I'll tell you somebody else that had ridiculous, radical Red Bull faith. There was a centurion who rolled up on Jesus and said, Jesus, my servant is sick. He said, you don't even got to go to my house. I'm a man in authority and under authority. Just speak the word. And my servant, servant who's not even by you, he will be healed. And that servant got healed without Jesus even being next to him. Because one person understood the power of his authority. And no wonder Jesus marveled at his faith. The only time he marveled at somebody's faith was somebody that had an awareness of his authority. I'm telling you, you don't have a faith problem. You have an awareness of his authority problem. That's why stuff is not happening in your life. You don't believe that he has the ultimate power and authority. You think your situation has the authority. You think what the doctor said has the authority. You think your cousin them and what they said has the authority. But God has the final authority. Authority is so big because if you don't believe somebody has the ultimate authority, come on, you will doubt the validity of their words. Don't act like you ain't been there before. You know when you've been on the phone with a company. Come on, somebody, you know you're talking to a mid-level employee. And you get so frustrated after a while when they're telling you something that is contradictory to good customer service. And you tell them, excuse me, can I speak to your manager? Can I please speak to a supervisor? Somebody that has authority to do something? Come on, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was in a hotel that I had a reservation for. And the lady behind the desk said, sir, I'm sorry, we're completely occupied. And I'm like, this reservation has been booked for several months. No, sir, we are completely occupied. I said, try to stay saved. I said, may I please speak to your supervisor? The supervisor comes over and says, excuse me, girl, and starts typing stuff. She said, Mr. Madu, I am so sorry. She said, actually, we have your room, and you know what? I'm going to upgrade you to an executive suite. I went from about to be on the street to an executive suite. How? Because somebody with some real authority started pushing some buttons and making some things happen. I hope you get so annoyed with what the enemy is doing to your life that you say, I need to speak to the supervisor. I need to speak to God who has the authority to do something in my life. Y'all better come get me. I'm about to run all over this church. Somebody give God some praise if you know he's got power and authority. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's got authority. This woman with the issue of blood said, for 12 years, I've been speaking to mid-level employees. People that's practicing medicine, but they ain't the great physician. I am sick of this. I demand an appointment with the supervisor. She touched the hem of his garment. But watch this. Her healing was an interruption on Jairus' journey. Because don't forget who got to Jesus first. It was Jairus. He showed up first and said, Jesus, this is a serious issue. I need you to come, and I need you to come fast. My daughter is dying. 
So I can use my exegetical imagination. I can see as soon as he rode up to Jesus, he said, Jesus, you got to come quick. And I can see Jairus leading Jesus through a crowd of people. Say, come on, Jesus, you got to hurry. Come on, we got to tell him. No, back up. I got to him first. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Just lead him through the crowd of people. And I can see him periodically looking back to make sure Jesus is keeping up on his time schedule. Yeah, come on, Jesus. Come on. You got to hurry. You still with me? Okay, good. Good. Stay here. Keep, keep it up. All of a sudden, he looks back, and Jesus is lost in the crowd. And he goes up and says, what in the world? I told you it was an emergency. And he is in a crowd of people asking this question, who touched me? So I was going, didn't I tell you that this was an emergency? You up here playing 21 questions? What do you mean, who touched you? You don't see all these people? He says, who touched me? Waits. So the woman comes. And the Bible says that she told him, one verse says, her whole story. Have you ever had a woman? No offense, ladies. <laughs> tell you her whole story? Get you a comfortable seat? And here is Jairus. Watching Jesus talk to this woman when he told him it was an emergency situation. Girl, hurry up. Jesus, heal her so we can go to the house. I told you. Oh, Peter, you always running your mouth. This would be a good time to tell your boy to hurry up. Waiting. Waiting. Isn't that frustrating to wait on your miracle? Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Have you ever told Jesus this is an emergency? Hurry up. And he seems to be having coffee and Kool-Aid with somebody just taking his precious time. Waiting on your miracle. And watch this. Not only was he waiting on his miracle, he had to watch her get healed while he was waiting on his. Ooh, if it wasn't frustrating enough just to wait on your miracle, what do you do when you have to wait on your miracle and watch somebody else get theirs? You got that fake smile like, oh, <laughs> ain't that awesome? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> you got healed. Can we go? <laughs> it's funny. Until it's you. Waiting to get married. And watching other people walk down the aisle. Waiting to have a child. And watching people post pictures on Instagram of their little baby. Waiting to get healed and watching other people shout about their healing and breakthrough. Have you ever had to wait on your miracle and watch somebody get theirs? And I found even in my own life that God will often have you watch a miracle while you're waiting on your miracle. Not to discourage you, but to encourage you. To let you know that if God did it for them, come on somebody, that I know he can do it for me too. Now, that sounds good, and it sounds like a good place to clap, and I set you up. I apologize. Because I'm a church kid. I've often heard people say, if God did it for me, he can do it for you. And we say that. The problem is there is an ideology behind that statement. The ideology is God did it for you. He can do it for me. So he's going to do it in the same way. So if you got a house, Ooh, bless God, I'm about to get me a house in the same neighborhood with the same square footage. And God, I'm going to measure it, so make sure you keep it even. Sometimes your miracle will not look like somebody else's. Because Jairus and this woman, they wanted the same thing. They both wanted a healing. Jairus didn't get a healing. He got a resurrection. Which sounds like something to shout about until you remember that the prerequisite for resurrection is death. 
Imagine how Jairus' heart sunk in his chest as he's waiting. And while he's waiting, they send word. Say, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? This is where I found out that Jairus has horrible friends. Horrible friends. Not because they told him his daughter was dead. That was a fact. It was the commentary they added to the facts. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher, the teacher anymore? The teacher. How you going to tell me don't bother the teacher when it ain't your daughter? Be careful for people in your life that are so quick to tell you to throw in the towel and tell you to give up. Talk about Jesus as a teacher. You don't got an awareness of his authority. He's more than a teacher. He's a way maker and a miracle worker. And even death doesn't intimidate him. Why bother the teacher anymore? And I think it's in that moment, Jairus was so dazed and confused and hurt by hearing his daughter was dead, Jesus had to speak to him and said, hey, don't be afraid, just believe. And I think there was a transition in that moment from Jairus, who was leading Jesus, to now Jesus leading Jairus, saying, Jairus, don't you let that news break your heart. Come on. Don't you, I ain't intimidated by death. I, can't, I am the resurrection and the life. Jairus, just come on. Jairus, don't, don't lose your step now. Come on. I'm leading you. Has anybody ever had God lead you, even when your faith seems like it was down on the ground and things, you got news that broke your heart, but you're still just following Jesus. Anyway, come on, Jairus, keep going, keep going. And Jairus is crying, but he's still following and wondering, how does he know where my house is? Gets to the house, stops the crowd. Ah, Y'all stop right here. Peter, James, John, come with me. Setting and controlling the atmosphere. Ooh, I don't know why he chose Peter, James, and John. All I know is if I'm a disciple, I'm feeling some type of way if I don't get to go in the house. Takes them in the house. They come in the house. There's all kinds of commotion. They've already started the funeral procession. You got to understand, you think funerals then are like funerals today where it's soft music like what's playing behind me and everything's really kind of calm. But no, not in the biblical day. Funerals were crazy. People would rip their clothes and wailing loudly and sometimes would even cut themselves to show how much pain they were in. And they would have music, but not soft music like this. They would play all kinds of chaotic notes. Can you just play just crazy notes, just all kinds of stuff? Yeah, that's, that's what he walked into. And they would play crazy music and they would actually have paid mourners people that they would pay to mourn and cry for you at the funeral because they knew that sometimes as a family you had no more tears to cry when it came to your funeral so they would pay professional mourners to cry at these funerals and their job was just to cry and make a big scene can I just pause right there and tell somebody be careful for people that benefit off of your dysfunction it is to their benefit that this girl is dead so they just causing a big scene just ah crying Jesus walks in and says hey why all this commotion girl is not dead she's asleep and right when they said that the people who were crying the bible says they started laughing Ooh. so they went from crying to <laughs> you know you're crazy when you go from crying to laughing you either just cuckoo or that means your crying wasn't real in the first place and i'm thankful for a real jesus who exposes fake people and they just started laughing at what he said he said oh you think that's funny you think it's funny because I said she's asleep and she's not dead? The reason you think it's funny is because you don't understand my power and my authority. See, death is permanent, but sleep 
is temporary. But because I have all power and authority, I can look at situations that other people have said is final, that other people have said is over, and I can look at it and say, no, that is not over. It's just asleep. Somebody ought to shout off that right there because there are things in your life that other people have said is over. You may as well give up, but you better talk to the one who has all authority. It is not dead. It is just asleep. Come on, somebody. He says, so you think it's funny? Get out. One person says he put all of them out. Can you see Jesus pushing them out of the room? Get out. Somebody say, get out. Oh, say it like you got some faith. Say, get out. Oh, this is your Sunday. This is your day to start telling things in your life to get out. Tell fear to get out. Tell worry to get out. Tell insecurity to get out. Tell doubt to get out. Tell unbelief to get out. As soon as all of them got out, he went up to the girl and said, now you can get up. Because the power is not just in the miracle. The power is in the atmosphere and the environment that surrounds your miracle. Maybe today you just need to switch from saying get up to understanding that God has all power and authority. Tell some things to get out. Sometimes you need to tell people you love to get out. Sometimes you got to even tell your own thoughts and your own insecurities to get out so whatever's in your life is dead can get